Hey everyone, before the podcast starts, I just want to say that my novel A Break in Rapport is now available on Amazon. If you live internationally, aka not Australia, then you have access to the hardback, the paperback and the Kindle version. Unfortunately, if you live down under, then it's only the paperback or Kindle due to anti-Australian racism. Thanks, Amazon. Regardless, just search up A Break in Rapport on Amazon. That is A Break in Rapport. R-A-P-P-O-R-T. I really appreciate the support as it's the culmination of five years of writing and uh, truly a labor of love. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Three, two, one, let's jam. Two thousand eighteen was my first year of teaching, and one of the most memorable memories I have from that year was the school going into lockdown because someone had actually entered the premises to find another student. Now, apparently, this intruder had come because some student owed him drugs or had stolen something from him. But whatever the point, for the next hour, we were in complete lockdown with the usual blinds drawn, locked doors. And students hiding under the desk. This intruder banged on a few thin wooden doors. He hurled a few swear words through the windows, and then promptly left without damaging or hurting anyone. However, what this event showed to me was how utterly unprepared Sydney High Schools were for any real act of violence. The school gates were always open. The school car park was always open. And a lot of the general public actually stayed on the school campuses after hours to play soccer or basketball. This is a really long preface to say I would not know what to do if someone entered the school with a knife or worse, a pistol. But thankfully, I doubt I will need to know that in Australia. However, this is not the case in the United States, where if you haven't been living under a rock, you will know. Over two weeks ago, a lone gunman brought an assault rifle into an elementary school and killed 22 people and injured another 17. Since that day, as of recording this podcast on the 10th of June 2022, there have been another 41 mass shootings. 41 mass shootings, with 46 dead and 180 injured. Now that figure only captures mass shootings. It doesn't account for one-on-one -on -one gun skirmishes, nor does it account for the amount of children that actually hurt themselves because guns are not properly stored in the United States. And the shooting at Rob Elementary in Avoldi is just another entry in a long list of school shootings which have actually entered Australian vocabulary or the vocabulary of people all around the world. Whether this is Columbine. Or Sandy Hook, these events have rippled throughout the world, and the question that always gets brought up is, why? Why has America not done anything? Why is this so common in America? Why do other countries that have high gun ownerships not display the same level of violence? What in particular prompts young men to grab an assault rifle and shoot at unarmed civilians? 
Today, I'm joined by Clayton and his brother Tyler, Southern Americans who have been surrounded by weapons and this gun culture ever since their childhood. And I bring them on to answer two questions. Where do we go from here? And what is it like raising a child in these conditions? Okay, well, I did not expect to be joined by two Americans. Previously, I'd only reached out to Clayton, but just before recording, he, he reached out to me and he said, hey, can my, can my brother jump on as well? So we're actually facing a double threat from Clayton and Tyler. So you, I've heard that you come from Nashville. What state is that in? That'll be in Tennessee, and it is in the south Mm-hmm. of the United States, so we call it the belt buckle of the Bible belt, pretty much. Oh, okay. So does, does that mean there is something particular or special about being the belt buckle compared to, like, I don't know, being the leather strap of the belt? <laughs> it's, like, geographical, really, because, like, if you think of most of the southeastern United States as the Bible belt, mm-hmm. um we, we're kind of like in the middle-ish of the top of that. So underneath, you know, to the south of us are is Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia. And so it just kind of makes, you know, we're, we're the belt in the middle and we're kind of smack dab in the middle, like where the belt buckle would be. I don't think there's any like symbolic uh, significance to it, though. So does that mean all the like the stereotypes about the uh, Rust Belt and the Bible Belt, is that very prevalent in your city or is Nashville? Because I, I think it's like quite a music driven town or like like it's quite famous for music i think does that mean that it's more progressive more left-leaning it's getting that way for sure i mean i think we're one of the like davidson county where nashville is located is Mm -hmm. a blue county you know most people Mm -hmm. here the majority vote democratic it's a blue dot in a sea of red. <laughs> Pretty okay. much. Yeah. So, well, let's quickly introduce you guys. So I guess I reached out to Clayton first. So Clayton, just let me know a little about yourself. Let, let the audience know a little bit about yourself. My name is Clayton Watts, born and raised here in Nashville, Tennessee for 32 years. I work at a hardware store with a bunch of Southerners. I went to college for six years to get a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and law enforcement oh okay does that mean you're a cop (laughs) (laughs) i really wanted to be a cop that was like my childhood dream and long story short i'm not you know but okay i was i was a private eye for a little while okay that that's actually super interesting what what exactly does that mean like when i hear that my first reaction is some wife who's crying with makeup speed on her face once you like track her husband because like her husband she thinks her husband is cheating on her is that what you do is that what a private uh, eye- i was only a private eye for like a month and no it's i that's what i wanted it to be i thought it would be glamorous <laughs> it's much yeah. more cynical uh, yeah but our only client was a health insurance company and i followed you might want to beat that health insurance company <laughs> uh, i mean they everyone knows it but they mm-hmm. basically i would follow people around who were claiming disability 
and getting a paycheck from it. Wow. Okay. And I would make sure they're disabled and record them <laughs> if they were not being. What, what, what a job title! What a job title! I would make sure that they're disabled. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that means you're a worst version of the the what do you call the parking monitors? The people who like monitor cars. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you're a worse version of that. Oh, it, it was awful. I hated it. So yeah, I had to quit. Yeah. And Tyler, could just quickly, quick introduction and yeah, what do you do as well? Yeah, I'm Tyler Watts. I'm Clayton's older brother. So I'm 34 years old. We're only two years apart. Also, you know, I've lived, I've lived around Nashville my whole life. You know, I was born here and I'm a, for, for work, I'm a software developer and I guess sort of my, I can't remember if you've touched on it yet or not, but the relevance of me being on the podcast is that I do have a a daughter in public school. And so it's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a, you know, a topic that's kind of close on my mind, I would yeah, say. And, and I'm sure, you know, with the recent tragedies that it, I'm, I'm sure it's it's on the minds of a lot of Americans, which is a great, great segue into, you know, what we're talking about today, which is unfortunately a, quite a dark topic of school shootings. And whenever I do a podcast, I always try to do some research, whether it's listen to news or read articles or get statistics. And this statistic actually blew my mind. And, and I really want to start this conversation with this statistic. Um, since Avaldi, which is for anyone who living under the rock, school shooting in the South, I think it's in Texas. There have been since that event, which is just under two weeks ago, as, as we're recording right now, there have been an extra 24 mass shooting in America with 21 dead and 107 injured. So... Let me throw it to you two. What is your reaction to that statistic? I mean, it's pretty disgusting to think about it, how commonplace it is, and I think how desensitized a lot of us are to it. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of my reaction as well as it's, you know, it's like, it's typical. You know, it's kind yeah. of, it's, it's become so commonplace that it's not shocking. It's just like, you know, Disappoint. It's beyond disappointment. It's kind of just you know, it's so commonplace. It's like, like okay, yep, that's 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 the current state of the country right now. You know, mm-hmm. and the word desensitized is actually a word that I heard multiple times as I was doing my research. And I think if anyone has watched, or if you two have watched the Steve Kerr interview where he comes out and he's super passionate, super emotional after the school shooting that I believe took the lives of like twenty one. 21 children or 19 children or something like that. He really used the word desensitize over and over again. And he said, you know, we can't get desensitized to this. We can't just like, by the way, anyone listening, Steve Kerr is the coach of the Golden State Warriors basketball team. And he says like, we can't get desensitized. We can't get desensitized. Like we can't just go out there and play basketball, have a minute of silence. And and can I ask, this was quite a common European thought during a few years ago when there was like a a wave of like terrorism that just hit the European states. There was this comment that I saw quite a lot of times, like we can't just change our Facebook profile and have the flag of certain country. Like they, there was almost a desense, they were desensitized to it. So can I ask, like, what do you, what happens when you see that news? Do you just scroll past? Do you don't care? Do you send it to a friend? What's the reaction? I mean, yeah, it's, it sucks to say, but uh, sometimes like this past week, there were so many shootings. Like I work with a bunch of older folks 
And, you know, my boss came in and he's like, well, they had a shooting in Oklahoma. They had a shooting here in Nashville. And it's just like, wow. You know, it's, you could say that every day you came into work almost. Mm. Um, and but how about the, sorry, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, like, especially on social media, like it's so it's already saturated with doom and gloom, you know. One thing that I wanted to touch on is, you know, go uh, sort of going back to the how you started off when you were talking about the Steve Kerr speech, you know, saying like we we can't be desensitized to this or we can't become desensitized to this. I think that's uh, maybe an, a, an overly optimistic outlook. I think I think it's already happened. I think. Uh, yeah. Most people are desensitized. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that when you see the story, you just kind of scroll past it and think like, yep, just another shooting. You know, this this most this recent school shooting in Uvalde, you know, was very distressing for me personally. And, you know, my wife and I have had quite a few conversations about it. And, you know, it happened at the very end of the school year. And my daughter had, I think, one or two days of school left. And so there was just a, you know this sort of feeling in the house, like, can, like, can we please just get through these next two days and have nothing happen and just it be a normal school year. And, you know, she's out for the summer and she'll be at home and she'll be safe. I I think at the beginning, you said that your daughter was around eight years old, which means she wasn't, and please correct me if I'm wrong. She wasn't born when Sandy Hook happened. Is that correct? What year was Sandy Hook? Was that 2012? I think it was 11 or 12. Okay. No, she, yeah. So she was not born yet. Well, can, can I ask as a father now and as uh, someone who has a daughter in school, is your reaction towards Sandy Hook different to Avaldi because of this uh, child that you're caring for? I'm sure it was because at the time, you know, it's – you know, they're always horrific ever since, you know, Columbine is kind of like the keystone event that, you know, that's, that's sort of like, uh, BC and AD, uh, mm-hmm. as far as like school shootings, you know, it's like before Columbine and after Columbine, even though that doesn't start with D and, you know, your reaction to that kind of thing, you know, especially around the time that Columbine happened, I was in like sixth or seventh grade, um, and, you know, it was, it was kind of like, well, this is, you know, this is a freak occurrence. This is a one-time thing. Like I can kind of take comfort as a student that, you know, this will probably never happen while I'm in school again, you know, and you kind of have that naivety at the time. Now when Sandy Hook happened, yeah, I, you know, I was an adult, we didn't have kids yet, but you know, I was married to my wife and, and there's definitely a different feel to the tragedy. You know, you think, you know, when you don't have kids, there's, you know, you kind of have empathy and, and thoughts of like, you know, it's, it's something awful that's happened, but when you are a parent, there's sort of that like added level of hell of, you know, having to think like, Oh God, like I have a kid in the school system. So like, you know, like it, it goes from this sort of like abstract thing that happens to other people to something that could potentially happen to your own kid. And that's kind of like very, very distressing to, to think about. And uh, the, the frequency that this kind of thing happens in this country is is pretty mind boggling. And it's so there's there's every time one happens now that I'm a parent, it does have that added tinge of like, you know, I, I, I can't help but think of, you know, not it not you know not wanting it to happen to my daughter essentially 
Do you think this influx of school shootings since Columbine does it change your understanding of like the country or American exceptionalism? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it definitely uh, gives me a pretty grim outlook because, you know, I feel like the country you live in, I, I, I see this touted about online. And, and so I'm not sure about the facts surrounding this, but I'll fact check. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I consistently see that, you know, people saying online, well, like, you know, Australia had a school shooting or a mass shooting. And then in response, you know, banned assault weapons or, or made new gun regulations. And basically it's never happened again. I, it's probably an overgeneralization, but you know, something to that effect. And, you know, even if that is an overgeneralization or, or hyperbole or anything like that, you know, we've, we basically have done nothing. I think since Columbine, there was an assault weapons ban in place for a while, and then it expired in like 2004. And this, I'm speaking about the U S here. And it's kind of like the, to me, it says, you know, the fact that this thing, this kind of thing happens so frequently and every time it happens, people get really scared and really upset thinking that there's going to be some kind of like gun regulation and nothing ever happens. And so that gives me a pretty grim outlook on the country that like, you know, we, we, it's basically saying, you know, this is something that happens and we accept it. And, you know, you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. If you want to have, you know, if, if you want to protect the second amendment, people are going to die. And, but, you know, that's the cost of freedom, I guess. Actually, just on your point, I think it was called Port Arthur, which is an area pretty remote. And as you said, someone got an assault rifle, came in and then shot up the place. Yeah, like pretty soon after. And what's interesting, we actually had a conservative or more conservative government in place, which then decided to take action. What's also interesting is, I'm not sure if you heard this online, but I think even Australian conservatism is would be more left-wing than the Democrats. So just there's a little, there's a different scale on like conservative and liberalism in, in more European based countries. And yeah, there was a, a a lot of the guns got uh, taken away. And I'll tell you actually a personal story before uh, I I want to jump and ask Clayton, because he said something was, which was really interesting and really piqued my interest when we were just communicating through message. So the story was I was actually in London m- many years ago with a American guy slash friend called Peter from the New York area, if, if I'm not mistaken. And there was this shooting in London, which happened very close to where we were staying in the university dorms. And it was me, Peter and another, another British person. And as I said previously, Europe had gone through like this I guess like influx or rush of, of terrorism or shootings or stabbings or something like that. And their reaction was pretty calm, despite it being, despite this event, the shooting happening, I don't know, a few kilometers from where we lived. I was like pretty distressed because in Australia, in Sydney, I had just never experienced that violence anywhere close to my vicinity. Like I've never thought about going to school and needing like being, being in a fight or flight mode ever. And taking that, I, I just, I want to jump into something that Clayton said and just repeat it. And, and maybe you can jump off that Clayton. And you said, my high school had over 3000 kids 
And I saw a gun every week on the bus, certain hallways, without teachers around in the bathrooms. It is all part of gun culture. So can you elaborate on on that and elaborate on your experiences in high school? Yeah, so I went to what it would be considered a lower middle class high school. And my brother also went there for two years. But yeah, it was a lot of times kids would, it wasn't, they weren't bringing a gun to school, you know, to use it. But a lot of time it was more like to flex or to show off like, hey, look at this, you know, this, I remember this one kid in particular who in the, the vocational hallway, so like where, you know, the auto shop was, the electronics classroom, he would sell stolen goods and uh, always in his backpack when he'd show you what he had or would show the hallway, he always had a gun, you know, just to let you know, like, hey, you know, you can't take my stuff and is that uh, is that legal or or does that fall under concealed carry or something like that no that's that's highly illegal yeah okay and he i guess he was probably he was in my class so this he was probably 15 or 16 so not even old enough to have like a rifle which i think you have to be 18 here in america to have a rifle 21 for a handgun well, can I ask, how did he get access to that? And, and did the school know about this problem? Did they know that guns were pretty commonplace? And did they ever in, enact any sort of rules to combat it? No, because I don't think it was ever really an issue. Well, I mean, let me step back. <laughs> I, it, never, it never went beyond like, hey, uh-huh. look, I have a gun, you know. And a lot of the kids who saw the gun were they weren't going to say anything they weren't going to say anything they're used to seeing guns so it was more of like a and also if you snitch the guy you snitched on has a gun yeah but but did the school know like okay so i I work as a high school teacher and there was this one time this person brought like uh, a baton to school and that was immediately confiscated parents were called police was called immediately at our school so was there any sort of even if no one snitched, like, did the teachers eventually find out that some some student was actually holding a gun, or did they did they ever realize this? No, I don't think he ever. Well, I, it's hard for me to recall. I know he got expelled for something. I don't think it was related to the gun. <laughs> it's but one, he, one of his other grifts. Yeah, but <laughs> he he definitely got expelled. But no, I mean, a lot of the teachers at that school have to know that. The kids have firearms probably in their cars, which here in Middle Tennessee, it's actually a big issue where people leave their firearms in their car overnight or something like that. And criminals know this, so they'll break into the car and get a free gun that's not traceable to them, you know, so much that our Metropolitan Police Department constantly expresses on social media, please secure your firearms, do not leave them in your vehicle don't leave them where you're you know obviously your children can get to them things like that yeah because that's where a lot of gun violence starts is someone who doesn't need a gun getting one yeah and it's really funny too because our state government very recently also passed what they're calling constitutional carry where you know if you're of age you can just have a handgun like there's no, you used to have to take a class and get a, a carry permit. And now they're saying like, nah, the second amendment 
basically says that's a that's an that's an infringement of your Second Amendment rights, and so we're enacting constitutional carry. If you got a gun, you can carry it with you. Like, and how old do you have to be to to actually carry? I believe for like Clayton said, I believe it's eighteen for rifles and twenty one for handgun. So you know, carry typically if you're carrying a gun, that's typically you know going to be a handgun. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know anyone carrying like a sawed off shotgun or anything like that. <laughs> Would that be um, legal? Like, can you just walk into a no. bar with like a shotgun on your back? No, absolutely not. Bars and stuff, you know, they have a pretty strict like no firearm, no weapon rule, and they're in mm-hmm. a lot of places have rules and stuff, and and that's sort of the way they get around a lot of this is like you don't you know, carrying a weapon isn't illegal, but you can't do it in certain places. And so like, if you, you know, go into a bar with a gun, with a handgun, like you can be arrested for that. But if you're just like shopping in Walmart and you have, you know, your handgun holstered in your back or whatever, that's totally fine. There's a guy that walks in our neighborhood that has a fixed blade knife on his belt and <laughs> his pistol holstered on his other side. Man, you live with the Terminator. You guys just get, <laughs> it's actually get a signature. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> Crocodile Dundee pushed back the Australian <laughs> the Australian image by 30 years <laughs> with that single <laughs> with that one quote. <laughs> it like basically yeah. immortalized. <laughs> The, the the fact that you know Australians all live in the outback for the, for the next like well, imagine years. how we felt having Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Real that's, a, that's a joke. That's a jab. At Hulk but but Hogan, but he, so. but here's the thing. Here's yeah. the thing. The, I, I don't think many Americans knew that much about Australia apart from Steve Irwin. But like American media is so dominant in Australia that like you know there's Hulk Hogan and then there's like I don't know Obama on the other side of the spectrum. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> to see that match yeah yeah make it happen well clayton how how do these okay so you've you've you told me that these children get access to these these guns and it's also part of like flaunting or showing off but how on earth do they get access to these guns they take it from their parents like do their parents have so many guns that they don't notice that they're a missing rifle or or, or a pistol probably i mean a lot of you know, I would say it, this is just a hunch, you know, I haven't done any hard research on this, but I would feel that a lot of school shootings based on, you know, where the shooter is, a student attending that school, almost 100% of the time probably gets that gun from his parent or from a fellow student who got it from his parents. Of course, now when I was in college, guns were not allowed on campus, but isn't that an infringement on the second amendment then why is that allowed what do you mean <laughs> like well, like, what? yeah oh. like like can't someone say well the second amendment like i have the right to carry a gun to class for campus yeah I, i'm not the hugest defender of the second amendment so i don't yeah i'm not sure what the legality is but like you know it's definitely there's definitely like you know, you can't have a gun on school property. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, unless you're law enforcement. So one thing that I did learn in one of my classes for criminal justice is something that a lot of law enforcement officials and legislators look at, I think, is there's like a balance between privacy or individual liberties versus public safety. And in context, 
that changes. So like we have traffic stops over here. So you, it's unconstitutional in certain contexts, but if it's just a, you know, a cursory glance, like, Oh, Hey, are you, you know, like visibly intoxicated or something like that? They're allowed to, you know, just kind of scan and see before you leave like a, a dense populated area where everybody's drinking, like, you know, downtown mm -hmm. Nashville or something, you know, so they're kind of allowed to, in that context, step on the individual liberties. I don't not stepping on it, but you know, they, the scale shifts, if that makes sense in the favor of public safety. And, and I think, um, go ahead. No, go on. I was just going to say like, you know, schools, hospitals, public places like that, where public safety is, you know, something obviously more desirable over the individual liberties, you know, firearms are typically disallowed, you know, smoking is as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, you, it's, and, and come to think of it, I think, you know, oftentimes it's sort of an establishment rule. I think there are certain off limits areas like period, but there, you know, there have been instances of like sort of like second amendment activists, you know, strapping a loaded rifle on their back and like going to subway and ordering a sandwich oh, yeah. or something. I, I've actually seen that there was this political influencer called Kate something, something Beckett or something like that. And she graduated from her university and she had like, a rocket launcher strapped to her back and she was like this is my second amendment right to graduate with a rocket launcher <laughs> so yeah there are definitely like it is definitely a political football both sides try to use it in a certain way and obviously you get you throw in lobby groups like the nra national rifle association and yeah it yeah. really is a political um statement or, or decision which i i think it touches on a core american value but like we'll get to that um in a second can I ask Tyler, just to jump back to you and, and to keep on the school theme. So as you said before, you have an eight-year-old daughter and do you see this school shooting culture or what's the right word? This fear seep into like your daughter's life. And I'll quickly give you an example where I see it. I actually see a lot of dark humor about like, oh, when the quiet kid reaches in his bag or something like that, or when the quiet kid tells you not to like go to school tomorrow. So it, it often makes uh, fun of these situations and probably to cope. And I also saw anti bulletproof school bags as well being sold in the United States. So can I ask, how is your daughter reacting to this? And, and is her school implementing certain things in order to negate the potential of school shooting? So, I think my daughter's a little young for it to be like um, something that, sh that sort of like penetrates her psyche just yet. You know, she, it's kind of just, you know, I, I, I sort of think this too with my son who's, who's not quite two years old yet, which is like everything is new. And so new stuff, isn't that new? If that makes sense, like <laughs> new stuff is happening all the time. So there's not really anything to say like, Oh, this new thing is, is a different, sensation than this other new thing because they're both new things. And so I think for her, it's just like, oh, this is just, you know, 
this is just part of going to school is that. And so, yeah, to answer, to answer that part of the question, I'm not sure about like security procedures specifically or anything, but you know, they do have a resource officer at the school and we, we did ask her the other day about like drills and I don't, I can't remember what they call them. They don't call them like active shooter or intruder drills or anything like that. It might be just like a lockdown drill or something, but she has definitely practiced like with her teacher and her class, like as a drill turning off the lights, getting into your, your cubby hole, put it, you know, hiding behind your backpack and being very quiet, you know, and that's, <laughs> we, we asked her about that the other day and it's just like, I, I think to her, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, we do fire drills and we do this other kind of drill. Like that's just, you know, that's, you do that at school. And I don't think she realizes how kind of like <laughs> grim the, mm, for sure. the, the implication is. Yeah, that's terrible. What do you see this affecting American culture? Like, for example, the the humor, I think high school humor has been affected by this. It's almost like a coping mechanism. Like I need to make fun or like make memes about it in order to like really understand it. But yeah, do you think modern popular or pop culture has been changed by events like Sandy Hook or Columbine? And yeah, how how has it changed, if it has, the American psyche? Yeah, I think um, part of that, as far as like high schoolers, you know, trying to, to be humorous about it, like there's kind of there's a couple things going on there, which is I think that, you know, uh, when you're in high school, at least when I was, I, I kind of like got a kick out of being a little bit of an edgelord. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you kind of joke about taboo topics, you know, it can be it can be kind of funny, but there's also a little bit of like relief in it like if you can joke about it and kind of make it a little bit funny then it's not so scary like right or at least yeah or at least it, it kind of makes you a little less anxious um about it and you know as as far as like culture on the whole like broadly speaking american the american psyche or anything like that it's hard to say i you know i i feel like it's still probably not like maybe south park <laughs> could could get away with joking about like school shootings or something and like but it ha- it would have to be like satire right like the onion or something like that i don't think that you could you know have an episode of like uh pro trying to think school of a show. yeah school <laughs> you know like an episode of friends that's called like you know the one with the school shooting or something yeah. oh my lord that would be so <laughs> grim yeah, I don't think we're there yet, but I don't want to rule that out. And, you know, if we if we keep going down this path, I think yeah, you know, anything's possible. And and Clayton, do you, do you see differences in how your school life was compared to uh, Tyler's daughter? Like knowledgeable, or like a school's more worried about school shootings compared to you when you were younger? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we never had you know anything similar to a, an active shooter drill or. We had lockdowns. We would have lockdown, but that was if like it was just lock the door, yeah. you know, and continue class as normal. There was no hiding or you know be quiet. You know there was it wasn't as prevalent uh, mm-hmm. when we were in middle school and high school. I don't think mm-hmm. um, like you know Columbine hadn't happened yet, and that was like the first one to really you know crash land in the. American psyche. 
What, why was Columbine so impactful? Was there any school shootings before that? Like, what made that one stand out? Was it just the fact that it was, num- like, the first one? I think the uh, gratuity of it, you know, it was... Yeah. It was, like, the first mass shooting at a school. It was also recorded, right? Yeah, there's, like, security camera footage and stuff. Mm, um, and also, like, it was very, you know, 99% of shootings are targeted at a, you know, a, a person. Like, it's one person targeting another person for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, there's motive. That um, was just... That mayhem. seemed to be indiscriminate. Like, yeah. it was, like, you know... Well, maybe not so indiscriminate, but indiscriminate in the terms of, like, you know, basically anyone can be a target because, you know... I think the, the narrative is that they felt like they were maybe kind of bullied a little bit, but more kind of just, they felt that they were better than a lot of these people. A lot of these people were stupid and they also were just like, you know, really into the whole cult. Like it it was almost like it was cool to them. Like they were wearing the duster jackets and, you know, had the the shotguns and stuff. And it was a whole like aesthetic thing. They made like little movies of them, like, you know, like fictional recordings where they, you know, are filming like, them like killing someone or Mm. you know stuff like that and and to see that sort of come to fruition i think and sort of like the level of carnage that they were able to to unleash in such a short amount of time and you know the number of people they killed and the way they did it i think it all kind of came together to be this perfect storm of like whoa like this is way different than anything that's come before do you also think the fact that columbine was able to solidify itself in the american psyche do you think part of that was as Clayton said, I think it was Clayton said, these shootings previously were targeted at a certain person, someone who was, you know, likely involved. Uh, the indiscriminate nature, did it almost wake up white middle-class America in the sense that, like, their children can also be, even if they're in the right place at the right time, a victim of a shooting? Yeah, I mean, it goes from, you know, like you know, a perceived injustice being exacted upon someone like, you know, that Oklahoma shooting recently where the guy blamed his doctor for his pain. So he targeted him, but in for Columbine, yeah, it was indiscriminate mayhem pretty much. So Mm -hmm. the fact that anybody can be a target, you know, and I think that it's kind of the same fear you have with like terrorism you know, like it could happen anywhere. I think there's a lot of rationalization that comes with that too. Like, especially when you, when you mention like white middle-class America, I think they have a tendency to look for a scapegoat to make it easier to rationalize. And so, you know, after something like Columbine or something, you know, they'll say, Oh, it's, it's, you know, Marilyn Manson. Back back in the eighties, it was the satanic panic, you know, it's Uh dungeons and dragons, you know, then it's, then it's Marilyn Manson, you know, it's, it's Satanism, it's video games, video games were a huge target. Still Um, are. Still are, which, you know, me and Clayton loved and still do love video games. And so that always pissed us off. (laughs) Mm, mm. Video games were just such a target for, for, you know, old white dudes who had no idea what they were talking about to say that video games caused someone to do a a mass shooting. And it's like, you know, no, we've, we've been playing video games our entire lives and we've never wanted to do anything like that. So you're talking out of your ass. Mm. 
Well, can I ask, like, these school shootings, or if you want to open up to mass shootings as well, like, this is really prevalent in the United States. It's, in many ways, I would say, like, if you discount, I don't know, Libya, or if you discount a lot of third world countries, America is very overrepresented in terms of these school shootings and mass shootings. And this always brings up the debate that happens every single time the right says it's not the weapon that kills it's the person that kills and the left says it's the how it's how accessible these guns are can i ask what do you think is because i i also have an idea in my head but i'd like to hear americans actually living in the country what drives so many usually young men to grab a gun go to the school go to a place and and shoot it up like is it just the accessibility of the guns or is it mental health or is it the culture of violence? Like what exactly prompts anyone to do such a, an absurd thing? Uh, I want to say it's kind of a mixture, you know, and I don't want that to be like a cop-out answer, but obviously the people perpetrating these, you know, acts of violence are mentally unwell. Guns are so accessible, you know, here in America, especially you know, here in the South. That's probably just a coincidence though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and I think as a country, we are sick. I mean, like unwell. We're gun sick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, gun culture, like I've seen so many guns and like, you know, when I was in college, there was a shooting that happened right outside the building I was in, but it wasn't like a, like you mentioned, like a mentally, you know, a young, mentally unwell man doing it. It was, you know, a drug deal gone bad, which is most, you know, the two shootings I've personally witnessed or that or been in the vicinity of where drug deals gone bad. But mm -hmm. I think you can't, mental health is definitely part of the conversation when it comes to, you know, these acts of violence. Yeah. For me, I, I kind of think about it like, you know, when we look at America compared to other countries, you know, mental health is not something that's isolated to America, mental health issues, you know, any of the other factors, you know, the person, you know, doing the killing, like anything that they may have going on, like most of that stuff is not isolated to America. But the thing that sort of does stand out as like the wild card is like, oh, and this person has access to you know, high capacity assault rifles. This is something that I, I've thought about for a while. Obviously, this topic interests me and, and the fact that it's actually really common on the news. Like Australian news, a lot of times reports on what happens in America, just like a lot of other places in the world. And I was thinking that apart from everything you said, and I think Clayton's response of it's a mix of everything. I think that I think it is true. And, and that's why it's so hard for the left or right to do any one thing about it, because it seems like it's it's a combination of everything. But I, I, and this is how I feel as an outsider. So, you know, you can agree, you can disagree. But I also feel like America, and it's part of the American history, has a big, like, military culture. And whether it's, like, the fact that America gained its independence through bloodshed, or whether it's the fact that in World War One or Two, like, America never saw violence on the home front. And... I, I also agree that I, I don't think video games causes shootings, but I do also see a lot of media, American media, centered around 
the military centered around you know like top gun um violence like halo like i love halo but like it's it, to me it's very pro military and as a big basketball fan i also see a lot of basketball teams like getting veterans in the middle and saluting them and you know like ideas like stolen valor you can't wear the uniform of a soldier because that's like you know that like the soldier is elevated like you cannot steal their valor so right. do you, what what do you think on like what do you think about that do you see this like pro military culture yeah do you agree with what i'm saying or do you disagree yeah 100% agree yeah i mean we are obsessed with the military here in america i mean it's how much of our budget goes to the military most of it yeah <laughs> and i mean yeah like you said like pop culture and media you know video games movies yeah. really glamorous comic books i mean the punisher and especially here in the south the comic book character the punisher you know he wears that skull on his chest and he is a vigilante a violent vigilante going out and killing criminals and he's you know a uh, military veteran suffering PTSD and you see so many, you know, pickup trucks and cars with the Punisher skull on the back. And sometimes it has like the American flag. Yeah. With the blue stripe. Covered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the blue stripe. Speaking which means, of which, you know, yeah. I like, I have seen more than one cop with a Punisher tattoo, like on their forearm or whatever, um, which is yeah. really just, well, and when you think about like the glorification of military culture, like that sort of extends to police as well, because, you know, the police are militarized to the point where, you know, there's there's a very almost very thin perceivable line. Like they're not quite to well, that level, but they you know, it's it's getting that way. Yeah. A lot of police officers are veterans. Yeah. Former military. And I, when I did before when I did training in before I went, I never went to the academy, but the preliminary training I did, I really liked what one of the officers said. He said, he gave us like a scenario of, oh, there's like a crack adult, you know, crazy guy in an alley, you know, is that, you know, and he was asking, what do you think of that individual? Do you see that as an enemy? You know, and a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, that's, that's the bad guy. It's like, no, that's a citizen, you know, you're supposed like, and he is in the most need of help. He's mm -hmm. addicted to drugs. He's mentally unwell. He needs help more than anyone. And he's still a citizen. So I think a lot of the issues with our law enforcement is seeing themselves as crime fighters or it's us versus them and not as peace officers, you know, which is I'm here to, yeah help but as soldiers in a war yeah they're know? soldiers you know if you ask them like oh i'm the punisher out here okay well ironically like this mindset of i'm the punisher was very missing in avaldi when they handcuffed parents but like they didn't yeah. run into punisher stuff when there was an active shooter like is there is there a lot of like tension with the police i know obviously the black community has that but like is there this sense that like they are becoming more militarized and, and like do the citizens push back some do i don't know how familiar you are with the term sovereign citizen <laughs> <laughs> i have um, never heard that before oh, oh okay it's basically the concept that like you know a, a sovereign citizen i oh, gosh i don't have a great like webster's dictionary definition well but they basically 
see themselves as you know in, an inalienable an entity, entity of their yeah. own like a government entity of their own so a lot of the times they go <laughs> out <laughs> they go <laughs> out and <laughs> they'll like seek confrontation yeah they yeah. seek confrontation with law enforcement and the officer you know will ask them like hey you know step out of the vehicle and they'll roll their window down like two inches and be like, am I being detained? Yeah. You hear that a lot. Am I being detained? Mm -hmm. Am I, I, am I being detained? What's the charge? You know, but, but are Um, they actually free to go? Like, like, you know, obviously I I don't, I don't support anyone who goes out of there to purposely annoy, like, you know, I'm expressing my, my rights, but like, are they legally required to step out of the vehicle or, and I ask this because I genuinely don't know much about the American police culture and stuff like that. Or, are the American police like very forward with like using force? Yes to both. I mean, well, they're not free, like in a traffic stop scenario, like we were talking where a sovereign citizen is stopped by a cop, cop asks him, you know, give him his license and registration and paperwork. That's usually when the combative nature of the sovereign citizen comes into play where they try everything they can to trip the officer up. Mm Mm-hmm so good yeah (laughs) or they become a lawyer real quick yeah yeah and and also like they it's the the sort of like the concept of like a traffic stop like basically you know i think most people in this country would see that as like if you get pulled over by a police officer, like that police officer is 100% in control of that situation. Like he tells you what to do and you are not free to go until he says so. Within reason. Within reason. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, because I think that's sort of the norm with most, and I'll say like most white people, when you, when a police officer experiences that most of the time, and then they pull over someone who doesn't, you know, kind of go by the book like that, the potential for elevation or escalation of the situation is, is there because it's like an, it's an affront to their ego, ego. you know, it's, you're not respecting them or their, their position that they hold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Clayton, I actually sent you this video, uh, before i'm not sure if you actually got around to watching it Um, oh yeah we both watched it yeah yeah and just to the audience just to quickly recap it's basically someone who is an old man someone broke into his house a pregnant woman i believe and then she she escaped or she left so she was no longer a threat and yet he's still in his opinion exercised his rights to i guess protect his property and something like that and that's something which i find quite strange this idea of like even when the threat is no longer around there's a need to like, well, it, it has trespassed upon my authority or it was a threat at one point, And thus I am within my legal rights to, you know, do certain things. And, and another example of this is I've seen this in media sometimes in American media where like kids will go on a fence and cross into someone's private property. And then this like cowboy comes out with a shotgun. Like that is very confusing. And if we link it back to the, 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 the homeless person in the alleyway on drugs and how the, uh, the police officer said, you know, is this person an, an enemy? Like, w- why is there such a, may- maybe we're just repeating ourselves with the military culture and stuff like that, but it's actually bizarre to me, like why one would need to execute someone when they're actually not a threat. They might be drunk or they might be, you know, mentally messed up, but why is that? I don't understand why that's a threat. I mean, yeah, in that 
particular video, you know, when he shows them the gun and then the two people like flee or whatever. And, you know, one of them was a woman claiming to be pregnant. And that's the one in the video. He says she ran slower. So she's the one that got it. Like, that's awful. Like, <laughs> that's just terrible. Like she's uh, yeah. running like the You brandishing the gun was enough to defuse to defuse the situation. Yeah. Yeah. But they've already committed in his mind. They've committed a crime. He was probably itching to shoot that thing. He already had the gun out as adrenaline was pumping. You know, he's thinking like, oh boy, here we go. Finally. (laughs) And, you know, in his mind, he was perfectly justified to do that because she had already broken a law. You know, she had already, you know, trespassed upon him and... So whether she was an active threat or not, you know, no consideration for whether or not she's actually pregnant or, you know, she's, she's not a threat anymore. Like, nope, you've already, you have already crossed this line and there's no going back. Like he, he had, he had already decided he was going to pull the trigger and like, by God, that's what he was going to do. And do you think there, there is this like an eye for an eye idea in a lot of the American psyche? It's, yeah. I mean, we're here, like we said in the very beginning, we're in the Bible belt. I mean, you know, in, in the Christian Bible, eye for an eye is like, you know, one of the number one takeaways. So, yeah, not turn the other cheek. <laughs> yeah. Eye for an eye. <laughs> eye yeah. for an eye. Like, we like the vengeful God here. Can I also ask, Clayton, just to touch back on something previously you said, you said that, and Tyler, this obviously goes out to you as well. You said that it was really easy to get guns in the South. Can you give me an example oh, yeah. of how easy it is to get a gun? What's the most absurd situation? Like, the, you know, if you teleported me over there, what's the easiest way I can get a gun? Walmart. Yeah. Uh, Walmart. I they mean, sell guns at Walmart. Like, Walmart? I bought two guns myself at Walmart. Yeah, they sell like <laughs> shotguns and like thirty out six rifles at Walmart. Yeah, <laughs> they or might have to. Sports. Yeah, they might have to see like a state ID or something. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. Um, so like you being an Australian, like you, I don't think you'd. I think it'd be a little bit more difficult for you to come over here and just buy a gun. You might be able to get one at like a gun show. Yeah, gun shows are very popular here, but also, I mean. Hey, can you go buy this $200 gun for me inside? I'll give you $250. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with, we kind of glossed over that term gun show, but it is what, I don't know if you're familiar with that, oh, but yeah. uh, for anyone who's not, it's literally like you go to a big ex, you know, expo center is what we call them, like, you know, or a convention center. And they have, you know, tons of tables with vendors set up and they're all selling either selling guns or, you know, advertising like, you know, here's, here's Glock's new laser sight or whatever that we're putting on our pistols. These new bullets. Yeah. And attachments uh, for everything. Yeah. Everything having to do with guns, accessories, the guns themselves, modifications, you know, aftermarket parts and stuff. And uh, there's a, I'm not actually sure what it is, but I've heard the term. There's like a gun show loophole or something. It could be, it could be an outdated term at this point, but they, you can also buy a gun at a gun show. And I think it's a little more lax as far as like how, like what, what's all, what all is required for you yeah. to be able to do that. And, and is that because like people at the gun show are more pro guns and, and they just want more guns in the market? Is that why it's more lax? Yeah, it's probably, I mean, you know, if you're at a gun show, you're probably pretty pro second amendment. And so, <laughs> 
And I mean, I've been to, I've been to a couple of gun shows with my dad and uh, yeah, I think they just, it's sort of like the intersection of constitutionality and capitalism. Like, yeah, they don't want, they're businessmen. Yeah. They, they want to maximize profit because of capitalism and they want to minimize barriers to buying a gun from them because a capitalism and B the second amendment. So Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like this, like we're going to do the bare minimum so that I don't get slapped with like a federal firearm felony or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And they often sell them, you know, there, we have a phrase here in the South, whenever it's hot outside or something's really hot, we can say it's hotter than a $2 pistol because, you know, okay. Yes. So the reason the pistol is so cheap is because it probably has a body count on it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, hot, hot being okay. a slang term for stolen. Not yeah. like, you know, okay. we're, we're kind of using a pun to say it's like yeah. the temperature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you know what, what's funny when you said that I, in my head, I thought like the gun had been shot and then you touch it and it like it burnt your hand or something. Yeah, that was my, the gun that was is my reaction. so cheap and shitty <laughs> that when you shoot it, I mean, that's true as well. Like, you know, especially with like, you know, military weapons and stuff like machine guns, mm. like those things used to get blazing hot. Mm. Yeah. And is it true that night? So this is another term, another phrase I heard very frequently. Is it true that 90% of Americans actually want universal background check? Or is that just like exaggerated by the left wing in order to, I guess, get more steam behind regulation of firearms? It's impossible to say. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, I, I think it's, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's true, but I know I work with a guy who is a gun nut. I mean, he brings a gun to work every day. That's all he talks about at work. He loves it. He's got names for his guns. What the and hell? He's, Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. Wait, yo, Listen, wait, here's let's Bessie. talk about this guy. <laughs> wait, so, so all he talks about is like, is like, I don't know, like this gun can put like a hole in like a, an animal like 500 yards away. Like, is, is that like, what does oh, he yeah. say? He talks about how smooth the trigger pull is, how easy it is to load the magazine, how accurate and calibrated the sights are he's i mean there's one gun in particular called he calls the hellcat let's just say he's very i don't i think that's the actual name like the model name of the pistol but okay he, what do you know that, what it is is it like a 357 or something i i really don't know okay <laughs> I, I generally tune him out when he starts talking. but yeah he's you know that guy who is a gun nut is for background <laughs> checks because you know i even talked to him about it yesterday we were talking about like the guy the shooting at the liquor store in nashville yeah and which you know had nothing to do like he it stole wasn't the a security shooter, guards yeah. he stole the security guards gun so it wasn't even you know like he didn't bring a gun in with him the shooter but you know, he was talking about people who, you know, that's the last person I would want to have a, with a gun, you know. So mm-hmm. he is for, and he's also like hardcore right wing. So someone like that, if they're I, pro yeah. background check. I can't help but feel though, like part of that advocacy, maybe from the right wing for background checks is it smells a little bit to me, kind of like, you know, like voter literacy tests a little bit like there's a certain kind of person we don't want to have a gun maybe (laughs) yeah that's a good point can i ask have you ever experienced an event 
where you were caught up in, in a shooting or you saw police put down someone or like the school next to you experienced uh, a school shooting. Have you ever been personally involved, any personal experiences from like shootings and mass violence and stuff like that? So I've never been personally involved, but I've like witnessed most recently, this was probably about two or three years ago me and my girlfriend were leaving target and we had just gotten like groceries and stuff and there were these two cars driving like maniacs in the parking lot and i was like oh it's a couple of high school kids just you know driving around and i pull up to a stop sign and one of them is speeding up behind me honking their horn like crazy and they're like they get in the you know the opposite lane to go past me and i'm like this guy's crazy he just ran the stop sign and i was like the guy behind him was doing the same thing so i'm like well, i'm just gonna let him go whatever mm-hmm. and they start driving around further up the parking lot and i they're doing their maniac chasing each other the same way i'm going so it's like i can't avoid it <laughs> and then it was a white car and a blue car and they were like circling each other and they slowed down and it's like a mating dance <laughs> well, <laughs> the guy in the white car like gets out in the passenger seat, sits on like the window seal and pulls out a gun, a huge handgun and just starts shooting at the blue what? car. And this is Yo, like 20 what? feet in front of me and my heart dropped like to this day me and Sage like we don't go to that part of the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I did go that's a rough area of the parking lot. I man. did go back I did go back two days later to where the shooting was and I picked up the shell casing. Like it's it was still there in the parking. But yeah, that and the the one I alluded to earlier when I was in college, there was a drug deal that happened like right outside of the building I was in, which was like a computer lab. And a guy shot at the other guy who was running away, missed him and shot some guy just walking by, shot him and it hit him in the thumb blew his oh thumb off Lord. i can't imagine just walking to class you know and he probably had headphones on you know and yeah he just doesn't have a thumb anymore yeah that's america that's man yeah um what, what do you think about the the right-wing response to a lot of this violence which is like the only thing i'm butchering the statement but like the only thing worse than a bad person with a gun is like uh I, I'm definitely butchering it, but basically the, the only is, thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy it. with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> do you actually think like, like an, un, like a, just a citizen, you know, how common is it? They would just pull out their gun and, and stop a violence, an act of violence or a mass shooting or something like that. Almost never. Yeah. It's very <laughs> rare. It's pretty uncommon actually. I mean, there were a lot of good guys with supposedly with guns outside of Uvalde, outside, outside of Rob elementary school. Yeah. And they just kind of, you know, were, were handcuffing parents. They were too busy doing that to to go stop the bad guy with the gun. I, I think, you know, it's more likely that because guns are so prevalent, a person with a gun is going to assume that, you know, someone that they're engaged in hostilities with also has a gun. And so they probably need to shoot first so they don't mm. get shot. Mm. Well, that and one thing they talked about, you know, in criminal justice classes was any altercation that a police officer is in is automatically a gunfight because they have a gun on them. And, you know, like the one I just said earlier, the Nashville, the liquor store, the guy didn't have a gun comes to a situation where a security guard an armed security guard gets the gun from him. And then like 
yeah, now he's an armed, he's a bad guy with a gun and the good guy doesn't have his. So mm. uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure for that reason, the, and I could be wrong, so I need to fact check, but the Australian or the Sydney police often carry tasers because if you carry a gun, you know, there is such an escalation. Like, you know, what happens if the police pull, pull out their guns first? So there, there's a need to like, as you said, fire first. So I think that's actually why like a lot of police in Sydney carry tasers. Well, I rarely see guns on police anyway. Yeah, and here it's kind of like a thing where if a police officer only carried a taser, you'd have people thinking like, oh, well, you know, guns are guns are so prevalent that like, oh, cops don't have guns. Like crime is legal <laughs> because I can just shoot the cop, you know. Okay. But yeah, cops here are well armed. I mean, they have guns, they have yeah, shotguns they, in their squad cars. Yeah, they typically have a service weapon that they keep holstered on their belt and then the squad car may or may not have a shotgun and or a rifle. Yeah. So what do you think is the the legacy of Uvalde? And what do you think will happen? So like we've talked about like, you know, violence, you know, the gun culture and just your personal experiences like but what is the step forward? And do you think there will be a step forward or, or will this be like Sandy Hook and Columbine where for a few months we change our Facebook profile to to have the flag or, you know, to do to mention Rob elementary school, and then we forget about it. Sadly, I think it's the latter. I'm pretty pessimistic where that, where that's concerned. So you really uh, think I'm, like, like all these shootings will, will not have any real consequence, any political action, any is the right, that the right wing, I should say, are they that like firm in defense of gun ownership or like, yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, the reason this one's isn't any different is because it's not any different than any of the other, like, sorry, I'm speaking in circles. <laughs> it's not really any different from any of the other ones that have happened and nothing's changed then. So, you know, what's it going to take? If, if not this, what, is, what has to happen, you know? And, and so I kind of feel like if something was going to happen, it would have happened by now because this continues, we continue to have school shootings and mass shootings in this country and, Nothing's really changed. And so, you know, the legacy of Uvalde will be the, the legacy of Sandy Hook, which, you know, what it's been 10 years since that and what's changed, you know, it's been it's been two or three weeks since Uvalde. Nothing's changed. Nothing's likely to change, in my opinion. If it's easier to get guns, I guess. <laughs> mm. So, Tyler, how do you feel? I think we'll wrap, we'll wrap it up with this question, but like, knowing that there isn't change on the horizon and you do have a daughter in the school system, how do you feel? Is there ways to prepare her for the, the potential, you know, and God forbid that something happens. Like what is your job as a parent when you think in your opinion, the government isn't willing to take those actions to gun reform? Honestly, you know, it's, it's something I struggle with. And so I, I've kind of think like, yeah, it's one of those conversations that, you know, you don't, you never want to have to have, but you probably, you know, based on past occurrences, like, you know, it's, it's seems to be, you know, it's, it's continuing to be a prevalent thing that happens. And so probably would be a good idea to have some level of preparation and to say, you know, to my daughter, like, okay, if, you know, if something like this happens, here's what you need to do and you need to be prepared. But the, the, the struggle is like, 
you know, why do I allow my child to grow up somewhere where this is a thing I have to do and where, where this is a thing that happens. And so I, you know, I, I sort of, it's, it's becoming less of a joke the more I say it, but we recently, we moved in the last year and I said, I'll never move again unless it's out of the country. And I think, I think that out of the country bit is, is coming a little more to the forefront of my mind, because I think that for me is the only solution I'm going to be happy with, you know, given, given sort of my pessimistic view about gun control, I think, you know, the only thing that's going to satisfy that parental duty for me really would be to leave the country. Now, is it something I'm realistically going to do? You know, who's to say probably not, but it, it, it's something that, you know, I've, I'm at least thinking about because of this. Do you think she has lost part of, or do you think she will lose part of her childhood innocence and naivety if you do have to tell her that potentially something like this will happen? Yeah. I think that's something that I'm afraid of for sure, but I, I just don't know. You know, she, she, she does handle things pretty well. She's, a lot more emotionally mature than I was at her age, certainly. And so part of me thinks that, you know, it's something that she, she could understand and, and it wouldn't, you know, cast a pall over her everyday life. But, you know, you just don't know. Like my, my wife and I have been avoiding talking about the Rob Elementary shooting in front of her, you know, for that reason, because we don't want her to think that, you know, even though it might be the truth that she kind of has to, worry about this you know we don't want to put that emotional burden on her and clayton do you i don't believe you're a father yet but you know hypothetically that he knows of yeah that that he knows of but do do you feel (laughs) do you have the same fears as your brother Uh, yeah i mean she's my niece you know and i care about her a lot and that is something i think about when these kind of things happen and but you know i trust tyler and his wife they're fantastic parents but myself personally i don't think i'm ever going to have children you know and that is one of the factors because you know that is an emotional burden i don't want you know personally is like do i really want to bring you know this is just me you know my own personal opinion but i don't think i have what it takes to bring someone into this world and then raise them in the environment that we're living in here in America at the moment. Well, thank you, uh, both of you for jumping on and Clayton's decision to add his brother last minute, the conversations about like, you know, actually having a child in the, in the public system, um, you know, added a lot to this conversation. So thank you both. And, you know, I hope everything goes well for you and I hope, I hope, the America, the country can move forward. But unfortunately, I'm a little pessimistic on this as well. So thank you guys. And yeah, catch you later. Yeah, thanks, Stanley. Adios, bro. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.